All right, we are back. The weekly Softy Hawk Blogger podcast, unless we don't do it, which happens every now and then, because let's face it, Brian's a busy man. I've got all the time in the world, but Brian is a very, very busy man, very much in demand. Every week we're talking Seahawks when we can, coming off a big win over the Lions in Detroit. Hawks now 4-3 and three before what I would say the biggest game of the year so far this Sunday against the Chargers. Brian, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's Friday. How you doing, dude? Uh, I'm good. So last week, you and I spoke about whether or not we believed in this Seahawks defense, and you kind of said, I think, eh, I'm not sure yet. What about after Sunday's game in Detroit? What's your take on this number four scoring defense in the NFL now, pal? Yeah, it's it's uh, it was impressive. It really was. And, and it's hard to to really decide, you know, whether you're more impressed with, with what happened on the offensive side of the ball or what happened on the defensive side. And, and I'll, you know, I was, I was pretty clear with you, dude. I, I, I felt like the Lions offense presented a real problem for the Seahawks defense and that I don't feel like the Seahawks defense or hadn't felt like the Seahawks defense had really proven themselves. And yep. they took a big step forward. Um, they really, really did. And, you know, in general, I would give the offense the bigger bulk of the credit for that game because let's face it they held the ball for 35 minutes and um that made the job easier for the defense but when the defense was out there they held them that was really one legit touchdown and the rest was there's some questionable parts of that what led to led to what happened yeah dick and i talked about this on the show yesterday brian i'm sure you heard it by the way Uh, you being the devoted kjr listener um Uh we spoke yesterday about how for me and i think you and i kind of had the same take on this season back over the summer really was not necessarily just about wins and losses but about filling holes developing the roster figuring out who your next great corner is going to be your next great safety defensive end linebacker whatever and look i mean I, i i just thought hey as long as they could cross a lot of items off the shopping list over the summer of 2019 uh, I would have been a happy camper, and I'm wondering if they've already crossed a lot of items off that list. Do they have their secondary with McDougald and Tedrick in the backfield uh, and Trey Flowers and Shaq Griffin uh, at the cornerback spot? Do they have their running back room already in place for the next two or three years? Do they have their tight end room with Disley when he gets healthy uh, and Nick Vanette and Ed Dixon already in place for maybe the next year or two? Is the offensive line already there? Uh, I mean, dude. There was going to be a lot of shopping that had to be done over the offseason, especially with the the amount of money the Hawks have to spend in free agency, and I feel like that that shopping list is getting smaller. Well, let me put it this way, Dave. I think they've kicked that cart over. This whole conversation (laughs) that you and I had about about, uh, this season is not about winning. You know, this team has no chance of doing something that interesting. Uh, It's about developing players. That's behind us, Dave. Yep. Like they've they've kicked that door down, and now the rest of this season is about seeing how many people they can force to eat how much crow. Yep. Um, because this team's good. This team is really good, and I think that you know that this is a great game this weekend. The Chargers are a legit team. Um, yes, they haven't really beaten anyone good, but you can also say they have. They've only lost to the two best teams in the league. So, right. um, you know, it's gonna be a great matchup. I have a feeling these next four weeks, everyone's like, ah, oh, man, they just got to get through them. This could be a moment where in a few weeks we're talking about 
everybody across the NFL trying to figure out what the hell happened in Seattle and how they're doing what they're doing. Well, I think I think even if you go two and two, and you're talking about doing something better than that, maybe going three and one, uh, or maybe even God forbid four and zero. Oh, even if they go two and two, Brian, uh, that puts you at what six and five, right? With five games to go, and your final five, three of them are against Arizona and San Francisco, and the other two are tough ones against Minnesota and Kansas City, but they're both at home. I think yep. even going two and two in the in these next four games puts you in a great spot. Absolutely, and and look, I I have them at three and one. I I think that that's that's what I'm expecting now. That's I think they have whether they want to or not. I think they probably want to. I think they've raised expectations, and and if if people are still waiting to raise those expectations, I think they're, you know, they're they're being a little slow. Um, I, you know, the Seahawks. If you look at what they've done since week three, since they've dramatically changed the way they're playing on offense, this is a top five team in the NFL legitimately and and that's you know one of the one of the best defenses so far um i honestly still have questions i'm gonna admit i still have questions i'm not convinced yet um and and uh an offense that is just ridiculously efficient right now so i think the expectations should be real high and look one of the things i'm I'm really interested in you're talking about what we've got going on the player side Deion Jordan started looking like he actually had something to give yep. against Detroit. So yep. I'm interested to see what that looks like. I'm interested to see what Jacob Martin looks like at home. We have not seen him rush behind the home crowd yet. And I think he's been an understated part of the pass rush the last two weeks that started to come alive. So there's a couple of players who I'm really interested to see, you know, if they can start helping to build and, and supplement what's been a real weakness is, is the pass rush. Well, that, that draft from last year uh, is all of a sudden looking really good. And of course that's the Malik McDowell draft. And you kind of forget about uh, that part, but uh, I mean, you got, you got Tedrick Thompson, you got David Moore, you got Shaq Griffin and you got Chris Carson, right. Uh, all from that draft. I mean, that's, that's 2012, 2011, 2010, Maybe getting there, maybe not there yet. I, you know, I know that I'm getting maybe ahead of myself, but we were all begging the Hawks to get back to working that magic on draft day. And are we ready now to say, or maybe close to being ready to say, Brian, that maybe last year they did that? Yeah, I mean, this year's been about making a lot of um, uh, Seahawks drafts that have been questioned look a little bit better, right? I mean, Tyler Lockett looks like he could be a Pro Bowl receiver this year. Frank Clark looks like he could absolutely be a Pro Bowl. He might be potentially in contention for an All-Pro, depending on how the season uh, ends up. You know, you look at the 2016 draft, and you mentioned um, some of the guys uh, in the 2017. What about Jermaine Effetti? Yep. What about Jaron Reed? Oh, yeah. um, what about Nick Vanette? Um, what about Quentin Jefferson? I mean, like some of these guys are, are actually looking like they're gaining steam. And look, you, you got to give some credit to Pete Carroll and John Schneider for doing something that, you know, Richard Sherman certainly did not believe in. Their, oh. His belief was they are kicking out good players and they're taking a hope and a prayer that these young players can step up and that the only reason they haven't stepped up is because there was other players in their place. And, Look, it, it's starting to pay off. These guys are growing with reps, and they are improving. Yep. And yep. I think it's a huge, huge step forward for the team. Well, I mean, what was what was the DNA? What was the lifeblood of that championship team? Because to me, it was young, hungry players fighting for second contracts with gigantic chips on their shoulder. And now you've yeah. got that. I mean, I was I was talking to Trey Flowers about that. 
the other day. There's a guy who's starting in the NFL yet still is pissed off about people that doubt him, still pissed off about falling on draft day. Who does that remind you of, by the way, that that kind of attitude? I mean, that's that that's exactly what got us to that point we were at in 2012, 2013, 2014, a young roster. You remember how young that roster was for two or three years? It was one of the younger rosters in the NFL, and it paid off. So, really, look, I I understand that Richard was hurt by what happened. I don't blame the guy for being hurt. You know, all of us are human. We all have feelings. But in the end, it feels like they're doing the right thing without question. And to be to be clear, he he probably was hurt, but that's not I don't think what he was saying. I don't think that's even where it was coming from. I think he was saying, look, <laughs> Pete Carroll is smoking something if he thinks you know Tedrick Thompson's ready to step in for Earl Thomas. He's smoking something if he thinks Shaq Griffin and Trey Flowers or whoever are ready to step in for you know him and and some of the other players or you know and Cam Chancellor and those guys. So I think that was kind of his like, hey, these you're talking about taking less lesser players and plugging them in for great players. Good luck with that. That's what I heard from him. And, and honestly, I kind of agreed with him, to be totally honest. Like, I, you know, I, I understood why Pete was doing it, but I did not expect that these guys would um, be able to be a top two defense at, at this point in the season. Yeah. I mean, I honestly thought he was looking for them to be a bottom 10 defense. That, that's, I mean, I really did not have a lot of confidence. And we'll see. You know, there's time for things to fall apart and, and, and whatever, but – but uh, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna fall that far. Not not based on what they did last weekend. Do you have a favorite stat so far after seven games? I know you're a big stats guy, big numbers guy, and anal- mm-hmm. you're a big analytics guy, which basically means you're a dork, is what that means. Um, <laughs> but do you do you have a favorite number, favorite stat, something that jumps off the page to you past uh, or after seven games so far? Yeah, I, uh, there's. I'm going to give you two that are, are to me really related, and um, if I'm, I know as soon as we hang up, I'm going to think of uh, you know three others that I would have liked to send better. But the two that stand out for me are the situational stats, and it's red zone um, offense, number one in the NFL, or close to it at like 75 percent. And the You're other talking touchdown their, percentage, right? Touchdown percentage. Touchdown percentage. Yes. yes. 75, three out of four yep. times the Seahawks yep. are scoring a touchdown when they get in the red zone. Yep. And the other one for me is third downs. And over um, over the past three games, the Seahawks are converting 59% of their third downs. Mm-hmm. 59. Mm-hmm. And if you go back even farther, it's you know you even count the 0 for 10 game against Arizona, and then you go back to Dallas. So since week three, you know they're over 50%. Like. Like, that's crazy. And um, that's something that the Seahawks really haven't done since the end of 2015 when Russell was on fire with Doug Baldwin. Love it. And we've we've talked for a while, and we never thought we'd see that again. We weren't sure we'd ever see it again. I think we might be in the middle of seeing it again. Yeah, their touchdown percentage has gone way up from last year. And uh, I'll give you mine. Thanks for asking, by the way. I'll, uh, I'll yeah, give you mine. Yeah, I want to hear, dude. Tell me all about it. My favorite stat uh, from 2018 after seven games is dot, dot, dot. Uh, I just love what the running game has done for this passing offense. Oh, yeah. I mean, go back and look at Russell Wilson in play action last year. Had a 94 rating, which is not obviously terrible, although quarterback ratings tend to be higher in play action than not. He was 34th in the NFL with 10 touchdowns and six picks on play action. Passer rating a 94. 
34th in the NFL. Now he's number three, 139.2, six touchdowns, one pick, completing 70% of his passes. That's Chris Carson. That's Mike Davis. That's Justin Britt. That's J.R. Sweezy. That's Dwayne Brown. That's D.J. Fluker. That's Jermaine Effetti. And that's Mike Solari, all contributing to Russell Wilson being a better quarterback because there's a threat of a run. And it's ridiculous what it's done to this offense. Dude, you're getting me all jacked. I got to give you two more. Can I give you two more? Give me three more. Go for it. All right. So the next one is is two. Uh, And what is that? That is the number of times DJ Fluker has pancaked somebody in the last three (laughs) weeks that I never thought would be pancaked. Yeah. And Dominican Sue and Damon Harrison. I mean, seriously, Dave. I mean, name name another Seahawks offensive lineman that would be able to do what he did you know, in, in recent history. I mean, Steve Hutchins is the only guy that comes to mind at the guard spot that would have been able to even come close to doing something like that. So that's one. The other, the other is, guess who's been number one in the NFL in pass blocking efficiency since the third week in the season? Well, I'm going to guess it's, it's the, the Hawks. Hawks. Yeah, yeah. It's the Hawks. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like a 98% pass blocking efficiency. I mean, dude, I mean, what are we even talking about here? Like, uh, Mike Solari should be in the conversation for coach of the year. You know, like it, it's crazy what he has done um, and, and just how terrible things were under Tom Cable. So, you know, I could keep going, but those, those are, those are another two that, that really jump off for me. Yeah. There's no doubt, man, that it's uh, it's, it's just incredible. And it feels like they're scratching the surface. How about this Sunday uh, against the chargers and Phillip rivers, because you're talking about a guy who may be having his best year in the NFL. He's got some targets. He's got a run game. Uh, I feel like this is the first real big game at the clink in maybe a couple years that kind of has that 2014, even 2015 vibe. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking with somebody uh, last night about this. Like, <laughs> this is the this is the third home game of the season. The Seahawks have only played two games at home so far. This is the first time they played at home since Paul Allen passed away. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the first game they played at home since they were good. The last time they played at home was against the Rams, and and nobody, everybody gave their ticket away for that game, dude, because no one expected the Seahawks to come close. And now. People are starting to believe. So I, I think it's going to be lit in there. I think people are going to be super into it. I think this is a huge challenge. I mean, I have nothing but respect for Phillip Rivers. I think that their um, receiving core is really good. Um, you know, I, I think they, they've got a lot of quality players. I also think the Seahawks should win. So um, it's going to be tough. Mm. I, you know, I've got this Seahawks winning, but I, I think it's going to be closer than what some people are saying. I'm saying like 24-17. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a dogfight. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's gonna be the first real big time litmus test because I I do think you and I are on the same page with this defense that they may not be a top three or four defense in the NFL by the end of the year, but they're not gonna suck either. And for all those people out there that still are waiting for them to do it against a team like the Chargers. Uh, you know, they say, look at Dallas, they're 3-4, and four. Lions are 3-4. and four. Well, that's because the Hawks beat them. That's why they're 3-4, and four, number one. And number two, I feel like this is the first real step in shutting those people up against this offense on Sunday. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think um, – I don't – you know, I think that the narrative about the Hawks is kind of going to take a while to change, and I don't think a win even over the Chargers is going to change it. Um, I think we're a few weeks away from that. And I think (laughs) people do not like eating crow. People do not like being wrong. And, um, frankly, you know, I think that's the mission that the Hawks are on right now. Um, and, and I think, tell me why, tell me a team that is not going, that's going to be able to stop the Seahawks run game. And that's the key to everything right now. And the the chargers, 
for all that they do well, defending the run is not one of them. So um, I, I think I think the Seahawks have what it takes to to impose their will on this team. All right, uh, great stuff, man. Uh, as always, love hooking up with you. It's uh, it's uh, fun times, exciting times over at the Seahawks at the VMAC, and we'll see you on Sunday pregame. We'll talk next week, pal. Good stuff. Sounds good, dude. You got it. Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, hawkblogger.com. Uh, Check it out. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you. Go Hawks.